Hi, I'm Joel. This is Creativity Pulse, a podcast where we dive into the cool waters of creativity and cruise around some creative thinking, evolution of ideas, and innovation that currently exists in a variety of industries and businesses, big and small. I've deviated from my normal structure recently, for example, shifting from two episodes to three per guest. The episodes were creeping up in length, and I really wanted to keep them to 15 to 20 minutes. The guests were really interesting after all, and I was finding it impossible to leave some of the conversations on the cutting room floor. Okay, here we are on the Creativity Pulse podcast again. I have a fascinating guest. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? So thanks for having me, Joel. Um, My name is John Brewer, and I'm from the United States. I'm in Arizona, and um, I do a lot of things, actually. (laughs) So (laughs) what I do is always a hard one to answer. My my day job, I've basically my whole career, I've been in administration for children's mental health and work in hospitals. And then I also do a couple other things um, where I teach doctoral students. And um, I also have a coaching business where I help leaders kind of navigate the difficult world and ever-changing world of leadership, whether it's in healthcare or other sectors as well. Wow. So do you ever get time to go home and see your family? I know you're a family man. <laughs> I do, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty intentional about making sure I set aside that time. That's kind of the, the sacred hours that can't be touched, you know. Um, so I, my other stuff, luckily, I just do a couple hours a day here or there. And then weekends, I, I do very little. I, that's all, all kids. It's wonderful to hear you hear so many people who do three, four, five things and they say, yeah, you know, one of the major problems I have is productivity, being efficient, allocating the time that I need to, not saying no to the kids when, you know, it's like, hey, dad, let's go and skateboard, you know, that sort of thing. Do you, what's the most challenging thing you find about sort of balancing that? You know, I would assume you have to be fairly creative at times. Yeah, yeah. At times, I think, I think the, what used to be the most challenging thing now it seems a lot more natural but is just establishing good boundaries in your life like it's okay to say no a lot of people want to say yes to everything and are afraid you know uh, if i said no to this i'm gonna miss out on this massive opportunity and things like that i find though that a lot of people just respect you for saying no and being you know they're pretty understanding of like no that time doesn't work i have i have a family and i need to hang out with them i can do this time though and um if that doesn't work for them, then it's not the right person for me to work with. I think I'm sort of mid-50s and I come from the time when a response like that meant that you weren't serious about your job. Do you think times have changed in that respect? You know, I, I mean, we're seeing this giant generational mixing, right, of happening with these the millennials and the boomers and the Gen Zs and all of that kind of um, mixing together. And I, I think there is a greater appreciation in some respects to um, family life's really important and you need to prioritize it. Um, we're see- in, in the leadership world, I'm seeing it even at the higher levels of CEOs and stuff who 
won't take these super late meetings or anything like that anymore. They're like, nope, that's not that's not in line with my priorities. I think um, you're seeing organizations and stuff also talk a lot more about their values and, and leaning into those values quite a bit more. Where it's um, if one value is we're gonna we're going to you know preach employee well being and that type of stuff, then it needs to happen from the top down. And if it's not, then you need to question the organization you're a part of. I think some of the uh, CEOs you see nowadays, they've all got sort of ponytails and, uh, you know, they're all sort of hip, hip hoppers and they've, they're sort of like, hey, dude, you know, I've got like a skateboard lesson, you know, I've got, I, I'm not talking to you at seven o'clock at night. Yeah. You know, I've got to hang out, hang out with my buds, you know, that sort of thing. It's, uh, I think, do you think that the, the sort of the shift now from sort of guys my age, mid fifties, wearing their suits and making sure everything is sort of, you know, you look as if you've just walked out of Savile Row into the shift now to CEOs who are, you know, a lot younger, a lot more sort of maybe aware of that a suit doesn't make the man, so to speak. Do you see that that's a, has added to the value of management and their awareness? I, th- I think so. You know, I think it's also the relatability piece of things. I mean, I, I wear a suit every day, but I wear, I wear a suit every day just based on kind of dress code type things, <laughs> you know, in, my, in, my, in the coaching world, you're going to catch me in a hoodie way more often than you're going to catch me in a suit type thing. Um, and I, I think that's a more realistic look at someone. I think that's one thing that's changed quite a bit, especially over the past couple of years with the pandemic and things like that, is yeah, that that curtain's been peeled back. It's not this like super hard line of like, here's my work life, here's my personal life. That's blurred a little bit. And there's been some definite positives that have come out of that. There's some negatives too, right? It, it's harder to have good boundaries when you blur that line and things. But one of the big positives is I think people have a better look into each other's lives and that that embracing vulnerability, right? Like you can look like a hot mess. I mean, not that long ago, I was on a call with a bunch of high level leaders and my three-year-old walked in and hung out for a minute and everyone just kind of laughed. It wasn't like this embarrassing thing. People have kids at home and people understand that. And so, um, I think that's helped quite a bit of, you know, as leaders get more open and kind of honest with where they're at, there's a deeper connection that they're developing with their employees and people that they lead. Do you think that the sort of the younger generation are getting a lot more role model, um, role modeling? I'm not really sort of too sure how to articulate that from the sort of I don't know, 35, 40 upward managers in the respect of a much more relaxed attitude towards the I'm your boss. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there's, um, I I know of a number of the kind of the older people that they, they feel a deep sense of kind of regret when they look back and they're like, I missed my kid's life. I, you know, I, I really just leaned into work way too much and that type of stuff. And I mean, I'm, I'm 35, but I, I definitely have learned the lesson work can wait, right? It's always going to be there. I, I just took a week off and I came back and there's plenty of emails for me to respond to. <laughs> so, um, but everything still functioned, right? You set up that team um, and, and things are still working. And so I think there has been that. And I think there's also this interesting, the, the Gen Z side of things, and maybe the younger millennials have start, kind of started that as well, where you're seeing a greater push for kind of, you know, more 
being more respected for who you are as a person when you're at work, having values is a much more important thing, that type of stuff. It's interesting. You hear, you hear the, especially the younger generation getting bashed on kind of their entitled and things like that. And, um, the things that I see them asking for, I wouldn't say they're entitled. They're clear on what they, what they want and what they tolerate. And now in this world where you can work remotely and it doesn't have to be in the town that you live in anymore, um, companies have to change, right? Like they, they have to adapt to meet that need or else they're going to work for someone else that actually cares about them. So there's a lot more placed in the value end of things than I think there was before. I think I going sort of back to the beginning of uh, things, I've got a couple of friends who retired recently at the ripe old age of 55. They, one of them now has bought a camper van and uh, he and his wife, daughter's left gone to university they're sort of traveling around spain portugal in morocco in three dollar flip-flops and ten dollar sort of t-shirts sort of trying to i guess catch up with the 30 years ago what a number of us did um i know one of my friends said he watched for a number of years his daughter get longer you know he said i left in the morning she was in bed i came home guess what she was in bed um, he was amazed when she stood up and, you know, he's a tall guy. So is his daughter. Um, do you think that there is much more of, of, we're, we're sort of aware of that in our fifties now. Do you think that there is a uh, much more, you've mentioned the word delineation. Uh, is there much, the divide between life and work now? Is that a little more fuzzy than it used to be? Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, it used to be kind of, I mean, there was the saying, right? The saying drives me a little crazy whenever I hear it, but it, it's not personal, it's business. And it's like, well, business is deeply personal, right? Like that's that's what's putting food on the table for your family, which is personal as it gets. And uh, and I think that saying's kind of... You, you, you always had the hitman in the Italian films, didn't you, saying this is not personal. It's about as personal as it can be. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you hear it in business too, right? Like, uh, oh, these layoffs aren't per- personal. They're business. It's like, well, you just signed a piece of paper that impacted 3,000 people or whatever. Um, and I think that that's changed quite a bit. You don't hear that nearly as much. I think people understand, like, not only is the work that you're doing deeply personal if it's something you really care about, right? Um, And connecting that to kind of your purpose. But um, the other side of it is with that deeply personal work and kind of leaning into that side of things, you're seeing more engagement in employees. The companies that are doing it well are keeping their employees and their employees are really satisfied because it's able to be personal, right? You want, you want it to be personal. You want, you want there to be more of a connection and for like your boss to actually know things about you, like your kids play soccer or whatever it is, football in your case, Joel. (laughs) Um, And so, so it's a, it's definitely, it's one of those things where it's just, there's, there needs to be more than just kind of this transactional relationship, which I think work was for a really long time, right? Like you showed up, you did the things and the transaction was then you got a check where now it's got to be a little bit more than that. Cause I, you can go anywhere and get a check. I mean, that, that part's not super hard. Go look at a job board and there's, you know, thousands and thousands of jobs. Um, it's more of how do you value 
the person that you're hiring and how do you how do you support them? I mean, leadership's definitely taken this transition from being almost a dictatorship, right? This very like top-down approach of you'll do what I say to now a much more like servant style or transformational style leadership where it's I'm going to support you and help you and empower you so that you can continue to grow. You know, I mean, uh, being a leader for quite a while now, nothing I love when I get to keep great employees because there's growth opportunities for them and stuff where I work, but nothing else makes me happier than seeing that employee grow and really rise up to their potential because I've helped support them along the way. And then there's not a great opportunity where, where they're currently working. So instead they go somewhere else and they do incredible things. And that's like this really cool transition as a leader getting to see like, yeah, they're meeting their potential. They aren't just resting kind of on those laurels of comfort. Do you, what are your sort of greatest challenges as a manager? I know we, when I've been managing people and in education and also prior to that in sort of business consulting, I found that I found some interesting information the other day. It takes about 23 minutes to sort of get back into the flow of things once you've been interrupted. Um, it's not just your kid coming in and say, Hey dad, can I have a biscuit or a cookie or whatever it is, a cookie in your case? Uh, the, I found that I used to get people to come in and I had this sort of little joke with them. I'd say song, dance, or joke. And if they gave me one of those, they could have my time. But it, I found it just made people stop and think and think, no, nah, it's not that important. And then they'd leave. I know you've mentioned something that you learned from one of your managers or mentors before where he had this. Tell us all about that. Yeah, yeah. So this was early, early on in my kind of leadership journey. I, I was lucky enough that the company I was working for at the time gave me an executive coach who was absolutely amazing and time management, right? Like I'm, I'm neurodivergent on top of it. I have ADHD. So refocusing is not the easiest thing in the world. If I can get in the zone, I can do things well, but it takes a long time to refocus. And him and I were talking about it and he's like, well, why are they coming into your office? Like, that's a great question. I don't really ask, right? Yeah, especially early in leadership, you're just trying to solve every problem instead of really like understanding and empowering them to go solve the problem. And he said, Well, they're probably coming to you for a couple of things. And he said, One, they're coming to you for your authority, right? Then they, they need to use your name or your title to be able to get something done. If that's the case, then clearly the messaging needs to go out that you trust these people to do their job, right? Another's permission, like you haven't been clear enough on kind of what their area of control or, or um, decision-making is. And so they're coming to you for things that you might immediately think, hey, why are you coming to me? Like, that's part of your job. You're, you're the manager of that area, all of that. I trust you to do those decisions. Just keep me in the loop type thing. And then the last one's right there coming to you for actual support. And that's, that's the one that then, yeah, sit down, let's, let's talk because you've ran into a problem and all of that. But if it's the other two, those are things that can be problem solved really, really quickly. Right. And that like, as the leader, I've probably taken a misstep in not communicating super well, whether it's you already have my authority. You don't need to say, hey, John said we can do this. That doesn't need to happen. You, you get to lean into you said you can do it because you're the you're the leader of that area. Or the other part is that that permission where you just aren't clear on who can make decisions. And um, I mean, and you see every workplace is pretty unique, right? Some places you got to go through 700 different people to make a decision. Some people empower their leaders where it's just go do it. And um, 
if it's a misstep, we'll talk about it later and we'll, we'll learn from it. And, um, there's definitely two different cultures there that are, are dynamic and interesting to navigate. I mean, I remember going back when I sort of started work, I, I've done a lot of sort of consulting sort of type things. I stepped out of university into an engineering consultancy, then went to a financial management consultancy and this sort of thing where we had what they used to call, um, we used to call them golf course managers. I think they were called country club managers is what the textbooks called them. Um, Very hands off, very unusual at that time, very usual now. Do you think that's because we have a a more educated, um, more aware, youthful generation of people coming through the universities who have sort of know how to communicate, you know, whether it's even if it's just through their mobile phones, um, they know how to sort of collaborate together. Again, that's through mobile phones. They're actually quite creative you know, compared to if you sort of do tests from 30, 40 years ago, we think they're just messing around on their phones, but they're actually doing some pretty insane stuff. Um, and critical thinking, okay, I'm not sort of too sure on the critical thinking side of things because I think we were actually really good problem solvers, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But do you think, again, that divide between manager and sort of worker as it used to be, everybody's just an employee now. And if you want to come and sit down on my sofa and, or in my beehive office or whatever it is that I'm sort of, you know, we're hanging out in, do you think that that is actually a lot better for business or even sort of, you know, the children's mental hospitals that you sort of work in yourself? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there's kind of that sweet spot. There's that fine line of, I think kind of an older way of doing things and in a way that leads to a lot of people, turning over and things like that is that micromanagement piece, right? There's the kind of older way of I had to be involved in everything. I had to know everything. I had to be the one that made every decision, all of that. And then there's kind of the, the managers that are totally hands-off. And then there's that, that sweet spot. And that sweet spot's definitely in that where you have a lot of presence, like you're talking about, like you're, you're seen, you're there, you know your people and all of that, but you also trust them and you've empowered them to do their work. They don't need to come to you for every decision. They don't need to tell you when they're going to the bathroom. (laughs) That's the type of stuff that just doesn't need to happen. Right. And it's, but they know you're there. I think that's a super important thing because the way that you're going to build trust isn't by micromanaging and it's not by being absent and kind of, I hope things are running well, right? The way you're going to build trust is you get to know the people, you get to see their, the value that they're bringing. And then there's trust that naturally just happens because of those two things. And so that kind of more of I'm out there, employees know me, there's not this like closed door every second, um, brings a ton of value, I think. And and it also lets you do a better job as a manager with talent management, right? Like one thing I firmly believe in, some people would disagree with me for sure, is that like not everybody's meant to be a leader. But if you look at the structure of how we pay people and all of that stuff, right, we have really good employees and then they want to grow in their career mainly financially, right? You want that financial incentive. And the way to do that is to become a manager, a leader. And that structure is probably not the best structure because there's a lot of great subject matter experts or kind of those people that are really good at this one thing, but they're not going to be good at leading people. 
they're good at doing that one thing. They actually might really hate leading people. They don't want to be the decision makers. They don't want to have to make sure they're building those relationships, that type of stuff. Yet those people get pushed into management all the time because they're great at what they do. And then you see them fizzle out and they're like, eh, I can't do this anymore. I'm out of here. I hate what I'm doing now. Um, and so it's how do we develop and by being more present, you see those people and you start having conversations like, hey, you're doing a great job. What What's kind of your career goals? And you're understanding those things better. So you can be like, oh, they actually would really, really hate having to be in charge of 100 people. That would be like their nightmare. They would not want to do that. So is there other ways that you can create kind of those subject matter experts and really lean into that service and allow them to grow in their career that way instead? And at least in the healthcare world, we've, we've, where I've worked, at least we've really worked on kind of how do you create that? You want to keep those rock stars, those people that are just solid at their jobs and, and let them grow in being solid at their jobs. Maybe it's they are the ones that train people or they're the ones that do your quality audits, whatever it is, because they understand that stuff so well, but they don't have to be that person that's like guiding strategy or making personnel decisions because that would stress them out and they'd want to leave. Well, that's it for this week. I'll be back next week. Don't forget to have a look at the website. You'll find some stuff to help you develop your creative abilities. I'm Joel. Who are you? Where do you come from? And what do you do?